0: They
1: say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Katherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well now, in caring for teens, you're bound to hit a bit of turbulence, so how should you approach this stage of your child's life? They're attracted to risk, increasingly distracted, and less and less attached to adults. Many conventional forms of parenting rely on tools such as rewards and consequences, and while these strategies work quite well with most adults, most young adults, they're less likely to work with the ones who have the most behavioural needs. Adrienne Wood is a former high school teacher, now a presenter in professional development for teachers and a parent coach. She works with parents of adolescents and preteens experiencing significant behavioural issues using the attachment-based developmental theory of the Canadian psychologist Gordon Neufeld. Adrian's in the Auckland studio. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning, Catherine.
1: 40 years I think this approach has been developed. Where, where does it come from? What, what kind of psychological um, or school of psychology and approach does it come from?
0: Well, it actually comes from depth psychology, which is a school that is not the mainstream approach nowadays. We sort of, post-World War II, it became more behavioural through Adlerian psychology, a more behavioural approach to parenting. And what's
1: this? Um, what, what's the difference in, in practice or the difference in approach this way?
0: Well, and this is a really key idea here in the way I work with parents, is that the behavioural approach is what we've all been taught as teachers, as parents, as people who work with behaviour. Is Let's look at this difficult behaviour. He smashed a window. He hasn't handed his homework in. He won't do the dishes or she won't. Um, turn up to school on time. What do I do? I need to change the behaviour. I need to force the outcome by creating such harsh consequences that it becomes undesirable or such strong rewards that it's attractive to do that. Now the approach I work with says uh, I actually think that working with behavioural outcomes creates issues. Um, It can make children very angry and hardened in their hearts because we're really sort of bullying and coercing them to do our will it's not coming out of their internal sense of what they want to do Um, so I work and the approach is a very relational approach rather than working with the behavior you're working with the relationship Okay, but you still might need to
1: change the behaviour, particularly if it is, or moderate the behaviour, particularly if it's affecting others or harming others or harming the young person. So are you trying to get to the same outcome a different way?
0: Absolutely. But it is a slower and more circuitous approach. You may change the behaviour quickly, more quickly with a behavioural um, approach, but you're actually at risk of doing quite a lot of developmental damage to the child. Would you like me to talk you through yeah, that no, a little bit more? Yeah, please, go ahead. And, yes. and by so, the
1: way, are we talking in particular with children with um, what would be identified as behavioural issues here with their, or, or behavioural needs here, or is this an approach you would use with any
0: young person? Um, uh, well... There is what I view as two main paths to adolescent development. One is what I'd call the emergent pathway, where you have a young person who's really coming forth with their own ideas and views on the world, and they can get quite abrasive at times when we disagree with them or they disagree with us, and that's healthy and normal, <clears throat> and it's part of our work to to accept that and be part of that. And then I'd call the path of defence, a child who has really shut down, hardened up their main um, resistance towards us is all about I want nothing to do with you and your opinion means nothing to me my peers are usually much more important I'm pursuing relationship and connection with peers and, and digital devices um, so it's kids on this path to defence path of defence that we really most of all need to take a different approach with
1: So because talk me talk me through it and perhaps some of the situations and how you would approach this as as, as a parent Um, or a caregiver, or a a, a teacher. Work us through some examples.
0: Okay, well, in my practice at the moment, I have parents, a number of parents, with highly aggressive adolescents. So I'm talking the far end of the spectrum here. It's not your average parent that has a child who is smashing up their bedroom with a hockey stick, breaking walls, punching holes in walls, um, breaking windows. But think of that as the far end of your child's resistant behaviour. Now, you could say, if you break another wall, uh, break another window in my house, you are not welcome to live here, or you might say, I'm emptying out your bank account, and you may not have a cent, and I'm not doing a thing to help you until you can pay this back, and you can learn to behave better. Now, that might feel like a sort of a justice approach. It's only fair that they learn to pay, and it's only fair they learn to behave. The problem is, you underneath this behaviour, you often have a child who's feeling quite a sense of wounding in the world, and that's partly why the defences went up. For some reason, they're feeling separated from adults, or they're feeling often attachment, connection, relational separation is underneath a lot of the frustration. And what is that?
1: Does this go back to very early days?
0: It often does, but it can also just be... Um, you know, a child bouncing between two families and not feeling a sense of home. And either or it might be that one of the parents has said, you're no longer welcome here. It's all sorts of things that cre- create quite enormous frustration in an adolescent, which triggers aggression.
1: So how do you go about the forensic work of trying to work out what is going on? Because something quite serious, I imagine, may also have, have happened or be happening to this young person. How do you first get to a point of trying to understand what is going on?
0: Well, I work with parents, not the child, and in my approach, the child isn't involved in the process at all. In my approach, it is our work as the adults caring for the child to work out their issues and work out what the con- finding the conditions that are conducive for this child to grow and develop to their full potential. So, if something's not working, that's our problem to work it through. So, I talk with parents around. Um, around their childhood pathhood, but also the things that could be pouring frustration into this sort of boiling mess of aggression that's flowing out. And it doesn't usually take too long to find the root causes, and it's usually Via the parent. Via the parent, Mm. or parents, or pairs of parents and step-parents. It's fabulous when they all come on board and help brainstorm the way through.
1: What are some of the, the things that can be underlying the behaviour? What are some examples you could give without taking anyone's privacy? What, what sort of anonymous examples could you give?
0: Well, it is different with every child. Um, for some kids, it's really obvious. It's, it's a parent who said, you are no longer welcome in my household. You've behaved badly and you're not welcome here. So that that triggers enormous attachment frustration in a child. And it comes out in a displaced manner with the parents who are, are safest. So the parent who said no, they don't generally throw their aggression in that di- direction. They throw it at the warm, caring, connecting parent back at home. So it's easy to look at the mum or the dad and say, you're obviously creating an issue with this child. Look at the high levels of aggression without understanding Kids generally are most aggressive with the safest person. If it's not mum or dad, they'll attack the sibling. If it's not the sibling, if the siblings are a bit too scary, they'll attack the family pet because that's the safest outlet for their frustration. So that's the
1: first thing is not to make a simplistic judgement that wherever the behaviour is occurring
0: is likely the cause of the problem or the source or, or, or the, the place of the problem. Yes, that's right. It's best not to be simplistic. And so often, if there's aggression at school, people say school's the problem, but it might be that school's the safest place for that child, and that's where it comes out. Or you might say, well, they're aggressive at home, so clearly the parents have a problem, but it might be that the child doesn't feel safe at school, and so it's coming out at home. It can be even more complex than that to add another layer... Some kids have no huge obvious abuse or attachment wounding or anything going on. Some kids are simply born more sensitive. And the research shows these kids are neurobiologically different, sort of 15 to 25% of kids. And these are kids, they would include those on the autistic spectrum, but it goes wider than that. Kids who get scratchy labels bother them, or the bright lights and the loud noise. And often these kids become very defensive as a protective mechanism against the world. So at first it just felt so hard when mum said no, or it felt so painful when a teacher said something, but after a while they harden up, I don't care, doesn't bother me. So you can have kids in a very connected, caring home environment, becoming incredibly facetious, Um, we call it sort of becoming an alpha child, taking charge of the home environment, bossing mum and dad around, and you might have these really engage caring parents who are trying to make it work for their child in every which way and the child through a level of defensiveness because of their sensitivity has just gone right the only way i feel safe is to take charge in this household and that's not a healthy dynamic for anyone to be in so we need to understand that the sensitivities were under what's underneath the behavior what age
1: might you expect this behavior to emerge because presumably there is a either a change or um uh, an acceleration that becomes uh, you know a point where where someone's taking action. So at what age is this particularly likely to perhaps either worsen or strengthen or or emerge? Are you speaking to aggression particularly? Well, just to behaviours where you're going, mm, yeah, exactly, and 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 feeling the need to go and examine what's going on.
0: Mm, okay, so developmentally, toddlers are the most aggressive clinically the most aggressive age band of anyone and anyone who's parented a toddler through the terrible twos will understand this they have no self-regulation so they want to kick brother they will kick their brother they want to bite they want to spit it's a difficult age but it's part of as we know separating from our primary caregiver and defining ourselves and usually this settles down by about the age of three or four generally at least by the age of five between five and seven self-regulation starts to come through some kids kind of miss the developmental window, and that resistance sticks with them, and it's often because of these defenses that spring up. So, for a sensitive child or a highly wounded child, they defend themselves. You know the kind of thing I mean, I don't care, whatever you say, and that, that kind of it's almost like when you push the two opposite ends of a magnet together and you get that repellent feeling. I don't know if you've ever as a parent ever approached your child and asked them to do something and just felt like you had the opposite end of a magnet coming towards you. That kind of resistance and defence stays with the more defended child on the path of defence, and it tends to come out as aggression again in the thirteen to fifteen year old age gap in particular. And interestingly, toddlerhood is the most neuroplastic stage where we learn, and the age, 13 to 15, is the second most neuroplastic stage in our brain where we're trying to define ourselves and grow and learn. Well, that's so, the other
1: commonality. It's also a time where you are afresh pulling apart from the parent and,
0: mm, and
1: mm. beginning to, any adolescent is beginning to show um, demonstrable paths towards independence, and, and often part mm. of that is, is pushing back and pushing away. Is that... Is
0: that coincidental uh, not, or, or not part of all. what's happening again in the age 13 to 15? Yes, and it's the the brain kind of redefining itself. However, the kids who've really lived through their entire middle years with a lot of defensiveness tend to be the kids who are pushing back and resisting in a quite concerning way. I'd call it chronic defendedness or a newfound theory. It's called counterwill. That, that thing where every time you say, would you, li- would you like to help out or would you like me to get you this? Could you do the dishes? And you'll just get absolute kickback. The first thing out of their mouth, it's almost like you know you were trying to throw mud at them or upset them. And that comes and goes. It's normal for teenagers to do that. Counter are part of defining ourselves. But when you're in chronic, stuck, defensive counter that's when you need to be a little more concerned because that's when you're not open to true developmental maturation. And to mature and become someone, you know, we always, the golden standard is self-regulation. Is this child self-regulated? Can they say, I really want to hang out with my friends and muck around all afternoon, but I also want to pass this test, so I'm going to put the thing I don't want to do as my priority and and hold off on the thing I do. So this is the beginning of all m- maturity. To be able to self-regulate like that, we need to be able to feel our vulnerable feelings so tears and sadness a defender child's not good at engaging with their vulnerable feelings alright so what happens you, we started again with the first
1: point first of all you're saying working with the parents alone you can normally get a sense of what may be behind some of the behaviours, and mm-hmm. I think you're suggesting that sometimes someone, perhaps having, you know, with, with separated parents, perhaps living in two homes, that might might be a situation. Um, what what do you do if you begin to feel like you're getting a grip on on what is going on that is causing this heightened level of defensiveness, as you put mm, it?
0: That's right. What do you then do? Um, it is amazing the amount of transformation you can. D- see in a child's life by changing their environment and that means changing the way that the parents or the adults caring for the child are coming to the situation. Um, I might give an example here um, of how this might work differently. So say your, um, your adolescent son took your car without your permission late at night and smashed it up. Now the traditional approach would be to come in the morning and say, how dare you have betrayed me, I am so angry with you, I'm clearing out your bank account and you are not leaving this house until you have paid it back and you've made it up to me. And we would all possibly say, well that's fair enough, You know that was a pretty bad thing to do. When you're working the relationship rather than behaviour, you might wake up in the morning, see what's happened and say, Son, I am so disappointed, and I cannot believe you would have taken our car out and smashed it without our permission. What drove you to do that? Could you explain? And he might say, well, actually, my girlfriend broke up with me, and I was furious. And you might go, oh, suddenly you're, you're on the same side as his frustration. That must have been so upsetting. I would be heartbroken if my partner dumped me. That is a really, really difficult thing to handle, son. Next time you know, you could come to me. And and suddenly you might find tears, you find connection, and then you might need to say, look, we actually have a smashed up car here and I can't actually afford to fix it. Is there some way we can work together on this problem? And can you see how this is a very relational, connecting approach to that behaviour that can get very different outcomes.
1: With The patience of a saint, by the way, and a limited number <laughs> of cars to be smashed up. I mean, this is the thing, the, the consequences could be more extreme uh, than, than your smashed up car, right? And so I, I suppose it's an area we want to see progress reasonably quickly.
0: Will you get progress reasonably quickly? I, it's just each situation is completely unique. But the progress that happens the quickest is when the parent is most successful at softening the heart of their child. And the way to break down those defences and soften the heart is by pro- providing a really relational, connecting approach first and foremost, rather than looking at the behaviour first and foremost. And I absolutely agree, you do need the patience of a saint to do this well with a child who is. Involved in substance abuse, involved in high levels of aggression, toxic behaviour at school, many would say, Look, just give up and walk away. But that's going for an approach that isn't, you know, we're wanting to create the full developmental p- potential of the child. We want them to become the best person they can be. We don't just want to change the behaviour here.
1: What evidence is there for the effectiveness? The other thing that the question that arises to me is that it appears to be a reward approach for the behaviour rather than, as you say, a punishment approach. And I agree with what you're saying. The punishment can just often just see the, the, the behaviour exacerbate and the relationship break down. But is there a risk sometimes of it becoming a reward behaviour in that it gets the comfort and the understanding and the connection? And if that happens, do you need to
0: modify? Look, I just... We're such a cynical society, we just want them to learn the lesson, right? But we want them to be safe and we don't want them
1: to harm themselves or to harm other people. Mm. So Mm. by effective I mean a positive outcome for them and for the relationship. But I I guess what I'm asking is, is there evidence that this approach um, does lessen the behaviour rather than, as I said, it becoming a reward behaviour, which may be what a behavioural approach um, would it would would um, behavioural approach would take? I mean, does it work? Is, is basically
0: yeah. the question. Okay, so for this question, I can speak to my own research. So, as a teacher, I've done research in secondary schools with disaffected learners, and I've um, I've done an intervention training uh, for teachers in this approach, and four were used as control, and overall, about two hundred and fifty students involved. And we looked at kids in a low-decile school with high-risk behaviour, and I asked the teachers to identify their most disaffected learners and then take this very relational approach in my intervention group. And I had amazing stories come out of that research. I had teachers who said he started the year kicking chairs over, tagging the boards, swearing, and he became a pussycat in my class. He would walk to the next class and um, so I had a story of one boy who was suspended for physically assaulting a teacher. And um, then he asked for his connecting teacher to represent him at the Board of Trustees meeting. And she said, well, in my class I just have no problems with this child. And she found out that the teacher had abused him and that's why he behaved badly. But the outcome was it was a um, it was a very successful intervention in the context of that teacher's classroom. It didn't generalise. Because it was within the protection of that relationship with that adult. That
1: is an interesting thing, also in the, con- in the, in the um, context of a class. Typically, will you work with someone individually on the situation? It won't be something that necessarily unfolds in front of the class, because straight away everyone else is looking at what's going on, right? So, mm-hmm. when you were doing this work with teachers, was the approach normally to deal one-on-one with the child after an event?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many ways you can give, convey connection and caring to a child even though you've got 20, 30 kids in front of you and there's one... That is absolutely overthrowing the lesson, blowing up condoms, swinging on their chairs, throwing things. So I like to speak to the whole class, this is what you need to do. And I might just put my hand gently on the desk of the one and suddenly the behaviour dies down because they know I'm right there. And then once the rest of the class is working, I'll duck down quickly and say, hey, how can I help you get through this activity? Can I lend you a pen? Da-da-da. I know you can do it. And when there's a big issue, suddenly I'm coming from a very connecting place that feels familiar to this child. They don't think, oh, she doesn't care about me. They have a sense of oh, that teacher cares about me. And the most disaffected learners, the research shows, have the most to gain from a caring teacher pedagogy. It's kind of helpful for the kids at the top end, but the ones at the bottom end will not succeed without a teacher, a sense that the teacher cares about them.
1: Thank you, Adrian. Adrian Wood, and she is giving some uh, presentations on teen turbulence. It's called on from August the seventeenth, well, August the seventeenth and eighteenth, and again on September the third. Uh, Wellsford and Mangahaua for the first, and Christchurch for the third. There's some details on our website if you want to learn more about this approach.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.